So Sam was wandering around the green room, and to be honest, he looked really out of place. In April 2022, Margot Avedisian flew out to the Bahamas to MC a crypto conference hosted by Sam Bankman-Fried at the Bahama, an oceanside resort in Nassau. The complex stretches for almost 1,000 acres along the white sand of Cable Beach. There are three luxury hotels, 24 restaurants, 11 different pools, and the biggest casino in the Bahamas. They had uh, Bahamas marching band, which was really cool, and a ton of different bars and food stations set up. Tickets to the conference were $3,000 ahead, and the guest list was star-studded with crypto hotshots and celebs. Sam chaired the headline talk with Bill Clinton and Tony Blair. Giselle Bunchen, the supermodel who'd taken a stake in FTX, hosted one event. One Direction star Liam Payne performed at another. And then there was Sam. He was wearing his cargo shorts and his T-shirt with his crazy hair, just wandering around. The conference kicked off each day with sunrise yoga classes and massages. And in the evening, there were non-stop parties, attended by the likes of Katy Perry and Orlando Bloom. They had like trays of lobster and, you know, bartender and cloths on the tables, and it was so beautiful. And then after that, Steve Aoki was playing. I mean, it was definitely action-packed. Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch, Trump's former communications director, was co-hosting the conference with Sam. He was ecstatic. We named it Crypto Bahamas. And I got to tell you, it's probably the best conference I've ever done. And I've done 15 of these conferences. We had 2,400 people there. And so coming off of that event, I said, all right, Sam, you're, you're the man. Let's figure out ways to get closer. Margot had a different perspective. She was an early investor in crypto and had attended many industry events. I didn't really quite understand why there are all these mainstream celebrities talking about crypto when I'm not really sure what they know about it. It seemed a little bit like, I don't want to say a money grab, but it didn't seem super relevant. And beyond rubbing elbows with A-listers, Margot's experience was about to get even stranger. Late one night, she ended up at an after-party in a $40 million house owned by FTX. She sat down at the pool, her legs dangling in the water, and a goofy-looking guy sat down beside her. He was middle-aged, in his 40s, Margot guessed. They made small talk for a while, and then Margot asked what he did for a living. Basically, he compared himself to being like Wendy from Billions. And for anyone who hasn't watched the show, Wendy is a psychiatrist uh, for a hedge fund, and she also helps them, you know, cover their financial crimes. This isn't fun for any of us. You trust me on that, right? Clinton, Blair, Giselle, all raving about crypto. It already felt peculiar. But now this? FTX's very own in-house shrink? I mean, I think it should have been a red flag. I'm Tom Wright, and this is Crypto Kingpins from Project Brazen and USG Audio. Here in the Bahamas, the life of FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried is about to take a surreal turn. Episode 5, The Island Cowboy. For the conference's main event, Sam got up on stage with Tony Blair and Bill Clinton to discuss the golden future of crypto. 
Margot, who was emceeing, had got off on the wrong foot with Clinton's team after an off-color joke. You know, crypto's really become mainstream when you have a former president involved. But Bill Clinton really loves head. I mean, he's ahead of his time. He's ahead of his time. I guess Bill Clinton's people saw it and was, he was so upset that he almost pulled out, no pun intended, from the whole entire conference. But Clinton appeared nevertheless, the lure of this new industry too powerful to ignore. If there's a high watermark for Sam's career, this just might be it. Sam in New Balance sneakers and white socks, Clinton and Blair in jackets and open neck shirts, chatting about how crypto would take over the world. Clinton's gung-ho comments about crypto later appeared in a promotional video for the conference. I'm convinced that we've got a lot of money, energy, and talent behind crypto. And when you have something that's obviously serious, you want to do right by it in the regulatory space. But not everyone was fooled by Sam. Margot had questions. For one, this conference must have cost millions. And it wasn't in line with Sam's public image of a genius who sleeps on a beanbag and drives a beat-up car. He was paying for access and he was paying for all these perks, even though his persona was more of like, oh, I drive a Toyota. But, you know, you live in a $10 million penthouse and you're hanging out with Katy Perry. But hanging backstage at this exclusive FTX conference also gave Margot a glimpse at another side of Sam and his empire including that goofy guy who claimed to be FTX's in-house therapist, the guy who'd compared himself to Wendy from Billions. His name was George Lerner, and he lived out of a luxury hotel on the island. He was responsible for the welfare of FTX staff, particularly Sam's inner circle, doing everything from life coaching to prescribing medication. He said that he got into FTX because he had some patients in San Francisco who worked at FTX, which I'm not, I'm not sure how you make that leap as a doctor, but I know Sam and Caroline both tweeted a lot about uppers, getting prescribed uppers and sleeping medication. Margot asked George about it. So I think I said something to him like, oh, you're there to prescribe medication. And he didn't really deny it. And that wasn't all. George Lerner was also matchmaking for FTX employees. So he wanted to set people up at FTX so that they'd want to stay in the Bahamas. And I thought that was very strange. I mean, I've heard of free food and free gyms at startups, but I've never heard of that before. Then the conversation turned weird. He was a little creepy. He said something like, oh, my wife said I just can't have sex with FTX employees. I, that was his way of telling me he was polyamorous, which I guess was very much part of this community. George even joked with Margot that she should consider dating Sam. He invited her to hang out again. But she'd experienced enough of this odd, exhausting world. It was, yeah, I, it was very strange. And uh, he wanted to hang out the next day, but I was leaving. I felt like I was there so long. There were so many parties. I was, lost my voice and I was so tired that... I'm like, I need to go home. George Lerner didn't respond to questions. He told Vice after FTX collapsed that he looked for dating options for FTX employees to keep them in the Bahamas. He said his role was an in-house coach focused on conflict resolution, not a psychiatrist. And although he prescribed drugs to about 20 FTX employees, 
This was through his private practice in California. As Margot flew out, Sam was riding high in the Bahamas after the conference. But living with the intense pressure of running FTX, he'd begun to show signs of instability. As his troubles deepened, rather than slowed down, Sam started to spend even more exorbitantly. FTX's home base on the island was Albany, an exclusive complex right next to the water. The Albany in the Bahamas is a fairly new resort that was created by a British billionaire called Joe Lewis, who had the vision for a modern, very celebrity-oriented, sort of hipster kind of lifestyle. That's Axel von Schubert, a German tax lawyer. He's lived in the Bahamas for decades and was a regular visitor to Sam's new neighborhood. So you've got this crowd in Albany, which is a big party crowd, a lot of young money, you know, a lot of the whiz kids, uh, even before crypto coming down just to see Tiger Woods play or to see Justin Bieber uh, hanging around the pool with a few models. So obviously that's what would have attracted Sam Bankman-Fried and his kids. FTX's executives made themselves comfortable at Albany. Sam purchased a five-bedroom, $40 million penthouse in a building called Orchid. As the sun set every night, lights lit up the wraparound balcony, which looked over a marina filled with luxury yachts. You could see it from across the complex. Inside the penthouse, Sam tried to recreate the dorm room feeling of Alameda's early days in Berkeley. Several staff roomed with Sam, while others lived in apartments in the complex. They lived locked in their um, million-dollar apartments and were running it like it was like a fraternity house. To keep the team entertained, Sam asked Albany to build a basketball court and bowling alley on site and demanded that a nearby restaurant serve vegan food 24 hours a day. Next to Sam's building, in the middle of a manicured lawn, there was a replica of Wall Street's famous Charging Bull statue. Residents zoomed around the complex in golf carts. One golf cart was named the island cowboy. In total, Sam spent a quarter of a billion dollars on Bahamas property. I mean, there's all sorts of rumors about crazy and quirky stuff that happened there. And um, so I think they didn't venture out very much. Sam's group shelled out $400,000 on food from DoorDash and ran up a tap of $600,000 at a nearby restaurant. When they realized Amazon didn't deliver to the Bahamas, they spent half a million dollars bringing over their packages by airmail. One FTX executive had a $2.5 million yacht in the marina. This lifestyle wasn't exactly in line with Sam's earn-to-give philosophy. But FTX did donate to local charities, and many Bahamians were excited to welcome these new big-spending residents. To have FTX, one of the largest exchanges, come to our shores, you know, the government, I guess, in a sense, and a lot of other individuals took a victory lap and saw this as a, a wonderful thing for our country. Tevin Bannister manages CryptoIsle, a crypto co-working space in Nassau. When FTX arrived on the island, he got a close-up view as they splashed money around. Tevin said local residents were excited. Bahamians, they, they viewed it as a new day, um, you know, a new dawning for our economy. But all this spending was merely a cover. 
as the pressure mounted, Sam's inner circle was falling apart. George had told Margot about the dating pool at FTX. The most prominent example was the romance between Sam and Caroline Ellison. Sam had been dating Caroline on and off for over two years, though they weren't exclusive. They'd split up yet again just before leaving Hong Kong. Under the stress of running FTX, Sam was becoming more draconian, and Caroline struggled to feel confident around her ex-boyfriend. In a diary she kept in Google Docs, reported by the New York Times, she wrote that when Sam was around, she had, quote, an instinct to shrink and become smaller and quieter and defer to others. Caroline never felt good enough. And for a while, she cut off all communication with Sam, even though she was still living and working with him. Not giving you the contact you wanted felt like the only way I could regain a sense of power, she wrote. Earlier, Caroline had blogged about how she thought of polyamory as a radical break from her conventional past. Now it just seemed like another unwelcome layer of instability. Caroline also was tired of the pressure, the insecure relationships, but she was in way too deep to just up and leave. She'd recently agreed to take over from Sam as co-CEO of Alameda, even though they barely spoke these days. It was a move that would help create the illusion of distance between the hedge fund and FTX. In public, she put on a happy face, like when she told the hosts of the El Momento podcast that she felt fortunate in her new role leading the hedge fund. I think I've partly just gotten fairly lucky. Uh, <laughs> I don't think uh, if I went back and chose a different random path, it would have worked out this well. So, <laughs> Behind closed doors, though, Caroline didn't feel qualified for the job. She wrote in her diary that she lacked leadership and decisiveness. But mostly, she was scared of being found out. I have been feeling pretty unhappy and overwhelmed with my job, Caroline wrote in a Google document in February 2022, according to the New York Times. At the end of the day, I can't wait to go home and turn off my phone and have a drink and get away from it all. Caroline didn't know it, but by appointing her CEO of Alameda, Sam was setting her up to take the fall. He must have hoped all this publicity would make FTX a household name in the US and make him enough money to fill the financial hole at the company. But just in case, Sam was distancing himself from Alameda, the company he'd used to move FTX customer money. If the shit hit the fan, he could blame it all on Caroline, even though he was still pulling the strings. For now, Sam was still the golden boy of crypto. By early 2022, FTX had raised even more money from big global funds, and the company was valued at $32 billion. Sam had to make the US business work. He bought celebrity endorsements and wooed former presidents and prime ministers. Now he would try and buy the support of American politicians. He packed his bags and booked a flight. He was headed to Washington, D.C. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. 
So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Gabriel Galbawit was headed home from a happy hour in 2021 when he realized he'd forgotten some things in his office. So I went up to get it. This is like around 8.30 at night or so. Uh, almost nobody in the building. Gabriel was an aide in the U.S. Senate, and his office was in the Capitol building in Washington. I get my stuff, I press the down button on the elevator, and then as it comes, door swings open, and out pops Sam Bankman-Fried uh, with two congressional aides next to him. They were all laughing as they were exiting the elevator. So they all seemed pretty uh, chummy with each other. The young Hill staffers were in suits and ties, and Sam was in a black FTX T-shirt and khaki shorts, his hair wild. Gabriel was shocked. He was walking the halls like any other staffer. The buildings closed to the public during the hours that he was walking in. And yet, here he was. That's pretty unusual, I must say, to have them all be, like, talking in that way. Like, usually it's like, you know, they're escorting the person up. It's very quiet. They were going to meet with a senator. It was late-night policy talk behind closed doors. It was just very clear the pathway to how he got into, in this case, very much a government building, was through the fact that he had been making very big donations, been hiring these very high-level consultants to help him out. Sam had set up FTX US to sell to Americans, under stricter rules than those applied to the company in the Bahamas. But the U.S. business was never going to take off unless Sam could persuade U.S. politicians and regulators to loosen those rules. He tried to get rid of any competition from Changpeng Zhao, the founder of Binance, by trashing his name in the American media. Now, Sam wanted to sell a wider range of crypto products to Americans, the kind of risky bets that had made FTX popular in Asia. It was a move Sam needed to pull off to get the exchange on a firm footing. He'd allegedly funneled out hundreds of millions of dollars from FTX customer deposits, and he had to fill the hole before anyone figured it out. If he could access the U.S. market, the biggest in the world, he'd make huge profits. At the heart of the matter is an industry and company still mostly unknown and unregulated that have had to make massive donations to politicians and political organizations on both sides of the aisle in order to look legitimate and look credible. Sam started off by giving $5.2 million to Joe Biden in 2020. Only one individual donor gave more, and that was Michael Bloomberg. But Sam needed to spread his bets. It's not like Capitol Hill was constantly talking about crypto before he came along. Sam donated to politicians who oversaw the cryptocurrency industry. But he didn't stop at Congress. He started to look at getting directly to regulators. And that included the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, or CFTC. Sam Bankman-Fried used his money wisely in hiring uh, experienced Sherpas in Washington, D.C. That's Jeff Hauser, executive director of the Revolving Door Project, an organization that focuses on corporate influence in Washington. 
Sam wasn't alone in looking for an edge. CZ had also begun to hire former American regulators to lobby for crypto. The crypto industry has been spending an enormous amount of money in Washington hiring recent alumni of the CFTC, the SEC, and the Hill at great numbers, including some very talented and smart people. For Sam, the strategy started to pay off. He persuaded Mark Weijin, a former CFTC commissioner, to join FTX as head of regulatory strategy. And that got Sam multiple meetings with the commission's top executives. The CFTC was starting to allow investors to take more risky positions, like betting on future crypto prices with borrowed money. One of the firms that got a license for this kind of trading was LedgerX. As a relative newcomer, Sam saw a way to fast-track his access. He'd buy the company. The mooch made the connection for Sam. I made the introduction to Zach Dexter at Ledger X, which was the exchange that was set up that actually got uh, the CFTC to give them some licenses for crypto derivatives. And then, almost overnight, Sam acquired Ledger X for almost $300 million. Soon after, he filed a proposal with the CFTC to allow LedgerX to sell even riskier crypto products directly to Americans. So the crypto industry wants to be regulated by the CFTC rather than the SEC. The CFTC is a weak, failing agency. And so if you're going to be regulated by a weak and failing agency, you're probably not going to be very much regulated at all. But Sam didn't stop at the regulators. Ahead of the midterms, he would open the dam on even more political spending. By mid-2022, Gabriel Garbowit had started to hear about Sam regularly in Washington circles. He must have been spending as much time on Capitol Hill as in the Bahamas. Everything about him was very strange. And the suddenness to which he'd become like this kingpin-type figure on Capitol Hill was shocking. Sam allegedly set up a colleague to be FTX's straw donor for the Democrats. According to court documents, it was Nishad Singh, the FTX engineer who'd helped write code to move customer money. An American political consultant Sam had hired told Nishad in an email that Nishad would be the democratic face of FTX spending, charitable giving, and, quote, a lot of woke shit for transactional purposes. But here's the surprising thing. Although Sam made a big deal of his progressive politics, effective altruism, and support of charitable causes, none of it appeared to run all that deep. Sam wasn't ideological about which party he supported, as long as it furthered his business interests. Here's Milo Beckman, who had worked with Sam at Jane Street. He was always very skeptical of any kind of politics. He's like, oh, left and right, who cares? Like, I just care about the truth or being rational. While Nishad was funneling money to Democrats, Sam set up another FTX employee, Ryan Salem, to give millions of dollars to Republican candidates. In total, Sam, Nishad, and Ryan made tens of millions of dollars in donations. Even for staffers used to DC lobbying, like Gabriel Garbowit, Sam's influence peddling in DC felt strange. I mostly was angry to see it. There was something just so disturbing about this. He made his money through, like, doing some very shady things in, in literally the Bahamas. But in politics, like most things, money talks. 
and Sam seemed to have an endless supply of cash. That is, until the crypto winter set in. Crypto prices are crashing. Bitcoin is down right now more than 10%. Two major platforms had temporarily suspended withdrawals. Lender Celsius Network blamed extreme market conditions. On Sunday, June the 12th, 2022, the bottom fell out of the crypto market. Celsius Network, a kind of crypto bank based in New Jersey, announced it was suspending all withdrawals. Amid fear that Celsius was bankrupt, customers had been pulling their funds, a modern version of an old-fashioned bank run. Crypto had always been volatile, but a 30% decline over a single weekend had Sam worried, as he told Bloomberg's Matt Levine a few weeks later. I had a business trip that week. I was like, this is dumb. I should fly back to the office. Like, the market literally just dropped. I need to be at work, not like around here. As the tide went out, a lot of crypto entrepreneurs were left swimming naked. Another crypto hedge fund, Voyager, started recalling its loans as it tried to fight off bankruptcy. And one of its main borrowers was Alameda. Turns out Alameda was making huge trading losses in crypto. So much so that Sam couldn't cover all these losses with customer money from the FTX exchange. Alameda had been forced to borrow hundreds of millions of dollars from Voyager. Now, as Sam spent stacks of cash in the Bahamas, on sports arenas, and on politicians, Alameda was in no position to pay the loan back. Instead, Sam offered to acquire Voyager for pennies on the dollar. In an interview with Bloomberg's Matt Levine, he made it sound like he was the knight in shining armor, rescuing the entire crypto world. If you like called me up tomorrow night and you're like, some very weird things happened and like I'm going to die if you don't wire me $2,000, I'd be like, okay, fine, let's deal with that, making sure you don't die, and then we can talk about what exactly happened to get us there. But CZ saw what Sam was doing. They owed Voyager $530 million in debt. If they lost the bid, FTX would have to pay $530 million to Voyager right away. Sam acted like a big spender, but he didn't actually have that kind of money. FTX bought Voyager for $1.4 billion. But only a few million dollars of the deal was in hard cash. He seemed very well capitalized after the crash. He started making investments in these distressed things. And he seemed like the white knight. The mooch was still impressed. Sam was keeping it together for now. He wanted his U.S. business to be squeaky clean. In the Bahamas, Carolina Nishad would do anything Sam wanted. But the employees he'd hired in the U.S. were unhappy. Now he faced a real challenge to his leadership. And as he fought back against rising dissent from within, Sam would start to come undone. When I knew Sam when he was 21, 22 years old, he was like a happy, like healthy-looking kid who was very positive, very talkative, when I got to FTX, I think over the course of my time there, I saw someone who was very different than that person I remembered. I think he was angrier, seemed more depressed, more anxious. You know, he couldn't get through a conversation without shaking his leg. Brett Harrison worked with Sam at Jane Street, where he wrote code for its trading systems. And we sort of realized we had this shared interest in 
helping kind of animal welfare causes. We were both vegans and we sort of bonded over that. That's how we kind of became friendly. After Sam left Jane Street to set up Alameda, Brett lost touch with him. Then Sam started to get famous, as Brett told the Lunar Society podcast earlier this year. The first time I even heard about FTX was one of my colleagues told me, hey, did you ever work with this like Sam Beckman fried guy? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. Why? And they're like, do you know he's like a billionaire and he has this like Hong Kong crypto exchange? I'm like, what? No. <laughs> what? Since when? <laughs> and then started to see him pop up in articles, especially related to his political donations. And that's kind of when I got back in touch with him and we started talking a little bit. Brett quickly signed on as president of FTX in the US. He built a team. The goal was to make the company acceptable to the US regulators. But he soon became disillusioned. Sam was supposed to be CEO of the US entity, but he was spending all his time in the Bahamas and Washington. He seemed more focused on putting FTX's name on arenas and hosting crypto conferences than running the company. People would sometimes say I'm Slack or signal messages and not get responses for weeks at a time. And it felt like he was spending virtually no time helping the company move forward. It was so much about image and brand and PR. And Sam's spending seemed to be out of control. A lot of this spending, I mean, on everything from like lavish real estate to all of these like partnerships to very, very large venture deals. These were the kinds of things in the company where people asked like, when does it stop? On a video call, Brett took all this up with Sam. It didn't go well. He was sort of emotional. He was worked up. He told me, like, I completely disagree with you. I mean, he said, like, I think you're completely wrong. He said, I think the stuff that I've done for PR is maybe the greatest thing that's happened to this company. I should do more of it. Brett had other issues. All the big decisions came out of the Bahamas without warning. When Brett tried to hire coders in the US, Sam shut it down. In doing so, perhaps Sam was preventing Brett from discovering the back door that Nishad Singh and others had coded to move FTX customer funds. Brett knew none of this. He just thought Sam was power hungry and increasingly unhinged. He started to wonder whether he had addiction or mental health problems. I didn't witness anything like, you know, the addiction stuff firsthand. I definitely thought he was not as happy a person as I met, you know, a long time ago. You know, he would snap easily. I mean, people would attribute it to the unbelievable stress of being in the position that he was in. Something definitely had deteriorated, like, mentally and physically about him, who I remembered. Barely a year into the job, Brett sent Sam a letter outlining his concerns. But by this point... No one at FTX challenged Sam. He had deputized uh, another person within the company to come here to Chicago and pull me into a side room and say, you are probably going to be fired for this letter that you wrote. And not only are you going to be fired, but Sam is going to you know, destroy your professional reputation. Brett decided to resign. This isn't like a mafia organization. I knew at that point there was absolutely no way I was staying. He stepped down in September 2022. I just thought it was not the right way to run the company. There's a very large chasm between I don't think they're doing a good job running the company and I think that customer funds are at risk. By pushing Brett out, Sam had gotten rid of a troublemaker, but he had other fires to fight. Sam had barely survived the crypto winter, 
All the money he'd taken? Well, he'd frittered most of it away. FTX's purported profits were a mirage. He desperately needed a new influx of cash. To get it, he'd turned to the Middle East. And here, he'd once again crossed paths with Changpeng Zhao. I did hear that, you know, he was trying pretty hard to raise money. The fact that he flew to Saudi to try to raise money there means he was somewhat desperate. Coming up on the next episode of Crypto Kingpins. Is Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire a house of cards? The pain on Joe Bankman's face is not something that I can really appropriately or fairly describe to you. Lots of people think they can talk their way out of problems, even federal criminal problems. Very quickly, I understood that most of the customer funds are probably missing. And so this guy's probably moved customer funds and lost all of it. Crypto Kingpins is a USG audio production in partnership with Project Brazen. It's written by me, Tom Wright, and managing producer, Megan Dean. From Project Brazen, Bradley Hope and I are executive producers. Josh Block is our executive producer from USG Audio. Mariangel Gonzalez and Nick Brennan are senior producers. Georgia G, Lucy Harley McEwen and Ben Walsh are reporters for the project. Susie Armitage is story editor. Claire Urban is sound design supervisor with sound design by Alex Port Felix. Seymour Milton is composer 